So anyway, the title of tonight's sermon, you know, I didn't, um, I kind of waited to see what these guys are going to preach about, hear what they were going to say, and uh, and um, just hear what the Holy Spirit wanted me to share. And so I kind of had a little bit of a direction um, on uh, Wednesday morning, and then it really came together today at about 2.43, because I looked at my clock and I was like, yes, it's 2.43. But the title is Meet Me on the 50. Meet Me on the 50. But let me tell you, everybody here, every man here, everybody, human being on planet Earth, but we're talking to men tonight because this place is full of men because it's a men's conference. And I hope you're a man. And the doctor snatched your birth certificate and said, male, that don't make you a man. What makes you a man is a choice, choosing to follow Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's what makes you a man. You know, one thing Demetrius said last night that stuck out to me more than anything was he said, I didn't have a daddy. My daddy chose and ran off and left when I was three, and I was raised by my mama and my grandmama. And he said, I didn't know what it was like to be tough. Nobody taught me how to do these things. He said, I didn't like to go out in the woods. I didn't like... He said, I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. I don't, I don't build things on my hands. I hire people. I, I can't relate to that. I'm just the opposite. I, was, I, had, I had three uh, grown men in my life that were, that were tough, especially one, my granddaddy. I mean, that's the, the way I grew up, what's a man is somebody gets up, get, puts your boots on, you go work hard every day, you go to work when you're sick, you go to work when you're tired, when you go to work and you don't feel good, it don't matter, you get up and you go to work, it, the bone's sticking out, you just keep going. Seriously, I'm not exaggerating. You have to meet my granddaddy to understand that. You have to wait till you get to heaven, though, to meet him if you, ain't, if you didn't know him before. That's, that's the way I grew up. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for those men in my life. I had those three men, and I had a next-door neighbor who was six years older than me, and he treated me like I was the same age as him. And he, but he had the, three, the same three men, really, in his life also. And I could tell you some stories, and I might. But I'm thankful for it. I am thankful for it. You know why? Because on Sunday morning when I don't feel good, I go to church. On Sunday morning when I'm tired and wore out, I go to church. And on Friday night when there's a men's conference and I've worked all week just like everybody else and I'm dehydrated and wore out, I get up and I go. When I'm sick, I get up and go. I don't miss. I don't want to miss. I'm not going to miss. You know why? Because the, the Sunday that I miss is the Sunday that she or he rolls down here in a wheelchair and walks right out the other door and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. There's a song that says something like that. One time this building fell on me and just crushed me into the ground, broke my leg in two places, tore my ankle out of socket. It's just sitting there flopping and Papa said, you can walk it off. One time my dad mistaken my mom for another lady for my mom because he was looking from the back and they had the same color hair. She's with some dude, but it wasn't my mom. So he took my football helmet by the face mask and pounded him in the head with my football helmet. That was my daddy. Can I get a roll tide or something? <laughs> I mean, that's good stuff. Now I got more stories. We're going to move on. But anyway, that's what I had in my life was, was that. So that's how I grew up thinking that's just what a man is. And so I wanted to be tough. I wanted to be like my papa. That was my hero, honestly, is I wanted to be as tough as him. And I wanted to work as hard as him. That was my goal in life. And uh, as I got older and I began to work and work and work and put work before my family and just go and go and go, I, I realized, you know what, this isn't what a man is all about. 
It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You won't ever know what a man is until you know who you are in Christ. You can still be a tough dude and, and live for Jesus now. You, ain't got it. you don't have to be a pansy just because you get saved. You can still be tough. It's okay. It is. See, that's kind of scary too. That was scary to me. I didn't want to surrender my life to Jesus because now i got to be like my grandma. No. The Bible's full of tough dudes. It's full of tough dudes. That's not even where we're going, but here, here we go. Everybody's called. Everybody's called. And God wants to send you. But there's, a, there's things that happen between the call and between the send. In John, the 20th chapter, in the 21st verse, and I'll put them on here so you can see them. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now he says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As means in the same way. In the same way that the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. So how, was, how did the Father send Jesus? Was he born a king? He wasn't born a king. He, he was born of a woman. He was a little bitty baby. He pooped in his diaper. He was, a, he was a baby. He was born just like that. He didn't come as a king. He came as an infant. And then he was a little boy. He played on the playground. He swung on the monkey bars. He did all those things. He threw rocks, skipped them, learned how to swim. And then he became a teenager. And he went to work and he helping his father as a carpenter in the wood shop. And don't you know why he's working in the wood shop? Don't you know that some people came in and needed him to build some crutches? They didn't have aluminum crutches back then where you mashed a button and adjusted out. They were built to your size, by the way. Don't you know some people came in to the wood shop that needed some crutches and him, him thinking, I could heal them. Maybe he built somebody a casket. I could raise them from the dead. Maybe somebody just came in with some problems that was sick. Because he was, he was sent. He had a call on his life to come and do something, didn't he? To rescue you and me. But he wasn't sent as a king, he was sent as a human being. And he says, the same way I was sent, I'm going to send you. Now, he didn't begin his ministry until he was 30 years old. 30 years old is when he began his ministry. He called the disciples, 12 of them, three years before this scripture right here. So for three years, they were with him going in and out, seeing what he did, how he operated, how he did things. They were close friends to him. And... Uh, it was three years before he sent them. There's things that happen between the call and the sin. See, the call is what? And the sin is when? You need to remember that. The call is what? And the sin is when? Amen? So what's your call? What is your call? Do you know your call? You may not know exactly what your call is, but sometimes you can get around certain people, certain things, certain ministries, and there's just something pulling you to it like, a, like it's a magnet. It's a spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection kind of thing. You, you know you're called in that direction. You shouldn't ignore that. But you know what you're called to do? Well, there's a lifetime call, and some people aren't in their lifetime call, but there's little callings inside the lifetime call. For example, right now, I think I am in my lifetime call. But there's other, other callings in, with, inside this calling. In other words, I go and preach at motorcycle races. That's not my lifetime call. That's a calling inside of my lifetime call. I go preach at the women's ministry. That's a calling inside of my lifetime call. There's other callings. You understand? Y'all with me? So when I first got into, uh, 
I knew the Lord was calling me. Now, he, He'd been calling me uh, my whole life. When I finally uh, started listening, let me say that way, um, you know what the first thing I did? Was I started taking up the offering. That's the first thing I did was I started taking up the offering. I just started contributing and I started helping. I said, anything that can be done up here. I never put a Christmas tree up in my entire life and every time my wife asked me to get it out of the attic, I hate it. I hate putting it back up in the attic. I'm like, are you serious? Can't we just leave it up till next year? I mean, do we really need that? Just throw the presents on the couch or something. Stick them under one of your plants. But when I started living for the Lord, we have a giant Christmas tree that's 20 feet tall or it goes all the way to the roof. I'm like, I'll help put it up. I'll help put the lights up. I'll help do anything. Just, just throw me in there. Let me help. I wanted to help. And I started taking the offering up. That was one of my first jobs. And I would sit right in here and I would get the offering tray. We'll just pretend this is it. And I would go around and I'd be like, <laughs> and I took it serious. You need to put something in there. I just stare at you till you did. Because I thought everybody should take it as serious as I was. Right? I forgot what a heathen I was just a few weeks ago. That happens, doesn't it? And then I began, the Lord moved me a little further into a, a men's uh, ministry. I started a men's ministry. We started doing some things up here in men's ministry. Then I started preaching some on Sunday nights, and I started preaching every Sunday night. And then I uh, moved on from that to uh, like an associate pastor, then an executive pastor, and then here I'm standing before you today as a pastor. But you know what? That was a process. It was a process. It was a raising up. I didn't get saved and say, Jesus, I'm yours. And he said, boom, pastor of 10,000. That's not the way it works. Now, I have seen some people that Jesus has called and they uh, were surrounded by a whole bunch of money and they pursued it and went and did it on their own. And it always fails. It always crumbles. You've got to go through the process. It's his process. Amen? And people, I had this one lady. But I'm called. She said, I want to sing. And I said, okay, well, you can come and try out or something. I'll listen to you. She said, no, you don't understand. I just want to sing by myself up there. I'm not trying out. And I said, you just want to sing by yourself, and you're not trying out. Like, I don't get to hear you. She said, no, you shouldn't have to hear me because I'm called. Whoop-de-doo. I don't care if you're called. You know why? Because everybody's called. The calling's not impressing me. It's the sending that I want to see. Are you sent? You called or are you sent? Anyway, she sang for me. It was terrible. So she didn't get to sing. <laughs> There's a difference in uh, calling and, and the scent. And uh, John, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And in uh, Matthew and in Luke, it says there's no other man that's born of a woman that's greater than John, but he's the least of the kingdom of, of heaven's greater. See, there's a difference between the call and the sin. Y'all with me? Abraham was called at 75. 75 years old, Abraham's called, but he wasn't sent till he was 100. He said, I'm changing the name to Abraham which means father of many nations. You're 75. I'm going to give you the promised seed. 
and I'm changing your name. You're the father of many nations. So for 11 years, Abraham went around shaking people's hands. And back there in those days, they didn't just name their son, just any old thing, pull it out of the air like Ricky Joe Bobby. I mean, their names meant something. His name meant something. God gave him the name, it meant something. Father of many nations. So for 11 years, he's shaking people's hands saying, hey, I'm the father of many nations. And after 11 years, he said, you know what? This thing's not working out as uh, quickly as it, it ought to, so I think I'll take matters into my own hands. And that's when he goes and sleeps with his wife's maidservant and has a baby and goes, no, that's not it. See, there's a temptation between the call and the sin to produce it in the flesh. You've got to be careful. There's always going to be a temptation between the call and the sin to produce it in the flesh to try to figure things out on your own. Before I became the pastor, I, I felt like the Lord was calling me. I just didn't know. I was just kind of a little confused, but I was disobedient. And I said, well, maybe I need to look for a building. So I began to go out and look for a building everywhere. And everywhere I looked, it just didn't feel right. There wasn't any peace. Just something wasn't gee-holy. You know what I mean? It was the Holy Spirit going, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. So I was just patient. Patient. Didn't want to make the wrong move because I'd made the wrong move too many times in the past. So I'm just waiting on the Lord. And, and then everything was literally handed to me on a silver platter. I mean, handed to me on a silver platter. No strife, no fussing, no fighting, no nothing. Just boom, there it is. And, and, and when it was, I was just in awe thinking to myself how bad I could have blew it, how bad I could have missed it, how bad I could have made a mistake. And people were pressuring me, do this, do this, buy this, get that, you need to do this, rent that, do this. But I didn't. And uh, I'm thankful for it. I hadn't done a lot of things right in my life. That's one I can brag on. Amen. Moses was called at birth. His name means drawn out. He was literally saved at birth. He was put in the water, floated down the river, and then uh, drawn out of the water. He was called at birth, but he wasn't sent until he was 80. Called at birth, but sent when he was 80. Now, when he was 40, he tried to figure it out on his own. He tried to produce a calling in his flesh. So he was called to deliver the children of Israel, the Hebrews, from the Egyptians. And he tried when he was 40 to start doing it one Egyptian at a time. Jonathan talked about it Monday night. They got into a fight. He intervened. He ended up having, he, he killed one of them, buried him in the sand. And then the next, next day he comes out there and two of his own people are fussing. He tries to intervene again. They said, what are you going to do, kill one of us and bury us too? So then he ends out in the wilderness for 40 years. And 40 years later, he was sent. And this process, you know, I... When he's out there, I wonder what happened in 40 years. I know he met his father-in-law, Jethro. I know he took care of his sheep. I know he's tending the flocks. I know he's doing all those things. But we don't get a play-by-play, -play, a weekly update about what happened in his life. And sometimes it takes longer than others. But you know what? The uh, self-reliance and the cockiness and the arrogance was gone because when he was 40, he said, I know who I am. And when he was 80, he said, I don't know who I am. God said... Go, I'm sending you. He said, I can't because I'm a stutterer. I don't know who I am. See, that's where you need to be. You need to be humble and be meek down on your face because if you're on your face, you can't fall. I don't know who I am. And in fact, without you, Jesus, I'm nothing. I can't do this. 
I can't walk, I can't talk, I can't lead, I can't be the father I'm supposed to be, I can't be the pastor I'm supposed to be, I can't be the boss I'm supposed to be, I can't be the friend I'm supposed to be. Demetrius said last night, if Jesus was taken away from you, where would you be? Would life just be normal to you? And I thought to myself, no, I would die. I literally don't know what I would do. The life would be taken out of me. Because I'm relying on on Him for everything. I've relied on red before and that led me down dead end after dead end after dead end. And I surrendered my life to Him and I said, I'm relying on you. This ain't much, but you can have it to do what you want with it. And I surrendered. And I'm in it. And I'm still surrendered. Joseph had a dream when he was 17 years old. He had 11 older brothers. He's the youngest one and he has a dream. So now they're sitting around the breakfast table. They're eating Cocoa Puffs and Rice Krispies. And he says, hey guys, guess what? Had a dream about y'all last night. Yep, y'all gonna bow down to me. Well, imagine your little brother telling you that. I don't have a little brother. But imagine some little pipsqueak coming up and saying, yeah, you're gonna bow down to me. Well, that wasn't a good idea for him to tell him that. So the Lord called him. Maybe he ought to just kept that to himself. So they grab him, they throw him in a pit, they pull him out, they sell him into slavery. He ends up at Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife wrongly, wrongfully accuses him. Then he gets thrown into prison, then he interprets a dream, and then the guy gets out of prison. He's like, Don't forget me. And he forgot him. And two years later, he remembered him, and then he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and then he's placed at the right hand of the throne of God. But you know what? He had the dream. He was called when he was 17, but he what? I said, Throne of God. Y'all know what I mean. Jesus was seated at the right hand of the throne of God, which is a type and shadow, but he was seated at the right hand of the king at 30. He was called at 17. He was sent at 30. There's a process that he went through, and you know not one time through that process that he murmured or complained or said, God, where are you at? What's going on? Most people would have done committed suicide, but they'd gone that far and gave up on God. It's a process... David was called as a shepherd boy, literally a boy. When Samuel came to his house and brought out his brothers, he said, you're not it, you're not it, you're not it, because God said, go to the, his house and, uh, and I'm going to anoint me a king. I want you to anoint the king. You know what? They brought them all in, all his brothers, and they said, there's one more. But he's just an adolescent, literally just an adolescent, just a little boy, an adolescent. And they bring him in. Samuel said, that's the one. And he anointed him. You know what? There you go. He was called as a little adolescent boy. But he's out there protecting sheep, tending sheep, tending the flock, protecting them, killing lions and bears, protecting the sheep. He's protecting the sheep. And then God gave him the sheep. Y'all know he goes up into the battle and here's King Saul and they're all terrified of Goliath. And little David walks in there and says, what are you scared for him, for, from him? He's an uncircumcised Philistine. He's taunting our God. He, he, he don't have a covenant with him. I've got a covenant with him. So David walks out there, stands up in front of a 10-foot tall giant whose sword was probably heavier than David. And he looks, David looks at him and says, looks up at him and says, well, boy, the buzzers are going to eat good today. Then he took his own sword and chopped his head off. There was a call. Saul wouldn't let him leave. 
He took him and kept him. And then Jonathan, who was Saul's son, became best friend. It says that their souls were knitted together. They were besties. He loved him. And Saul loved him. But then all of a sudden, then Saul got jealous and wanted to kill him. Now keep in mind, David has been anointed as the next king. The only thing standing in the way of the throne is Saul. And now Saul hates him and wants to kill him and tries to murder him. In fact, David's on the run for quite a while and Saul's trying to kill him, trying to kill him two times. He tried to stab him and kill him. He's trying to kill him. But then David finds him asleep and he walks in and he cuts a piece of his garment off. He could have killed him. He could have killed him. I think about what I would have done. I'm anointed to be the next king. This guy wants to kill me. I may as well go ahead and kill him now so that I don't get killed and now I'm going to be on the throne. But then that will be trying to take matters into your own hands. That will be the temptation is to uh, produce a call in the flesh to figure things out on your own. And some of you may know the story. The Saul dies. He's killed in battle. Guess who took over the throne at the age of 30? But there was a process from a little bitty adolescent boy to a 30-year-old man who had been in some battles, who had been in some war. He knew what it was like to be hated. He knew what it was like to be hunted down. He knew what it was like to be standing in front of a giant. And some of you here tonight may be standing in front of a big giant yourself. How do you fight that? You're here. How do I fight my battles? You're here. There's a lot of people tonight that couldn't fight. They were just too tired. They had to stay home. They're not fighting. Now, I understand other people had things to do. I get it. I know everybody's not lazy and just, just not, not worried about things of God. I understand. Some people's wives said, no, you're taking me out to eat. I get it. They probably lost the marbles they got last year at the men's conference. It happens. It happens. When that happens, you got to get up real early before she gets up. You sneak downstairs. You get a purse. Open it up. Unzip that side pocket. You'll find them right there. Get them back. Now, we're getting into the meat of things and then a couple more hours I'll have you out of here. Listen. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now Paul's called. That's what I want you to get out of there. He's called to be an apostle. All right, in Acts, the ninth chapter, the, the 15th verse here. Well, let me back up. Let me back up. So... Paul, before his name is Paul, he's Saul. He's not the same Saul that's trying to kill David. Two different Sauls. Long time span in between the two. But Saul of Tarsus is uh, out persecuting and killing Christians. In fact, he's got approval to do so. From the chief priest, they gave him approval to do so. Anybody that's out proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, you can kill him, you can murder, and you're not in any trouble for it. So he, that's what he's out doing. Okay? Then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and he knocks him down and his eyes are blinded. He can't see. And I just read it again today and they're leading him into town. 
Big bad man killing people one day, the next day he's being led. And let me tell you something, I was just thinking about when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that's the first thing you got to do is surrender to him and let him lead you. But um, he, uh, the Lord spoke to Ananias. He said, there's a guy coming into town. Did I pronounce it correctly? I thought I did. My fly, okay. I just got a funny look. I just make sure. That's a scary thing. It's a scary thing sometimes. Ananias, he said, uh, Saul of Tarsus is coming in. He's coming in. And he's going to be on Straight Street. And he's going to be at the house of Judas. Not the Judas that betrayed Jesus. He says he's going to be at the house of Judas. And I want you to go there. I want you to lay hands on him so that he'll regain his vision. And I and I said, say what? This is a Saul of Tarsus. Have you heard about him? He's been out persecuting and killing Christians. Have you heard all the things he's been doing? And you want me to go lay hands on him? And then... The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now get this. Bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. The children of Israel are Jews. Gentiles are non-Jews. That pretty much means everybody. That pretty much just covers everybody. That I have chosen him. He said, I've called him. So that's right there is where he's called. I want you to get that. That's where he's called. He had been a murderer. But now the Lord's calling him. Paul's called right there in Acts, the ninth chapter and the 15th verse. And we're not going to read all of it for the sake of time. And we're going to talk about Paul here for a minute. And I want to share a couple of points with you. Um, because we're talking about the, the call and the sin. And Jonathan says something good Monday night. I give you the problem, but no solution. What good is it? Anybody can point out the problem. How about the solution? Men don't be doing that to your wife. Always pointing out the problem. Everything she's doing, everything wrong. Nagging, 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 nagging. I should be that kind of a person. Still can be sometimes. But you need some commitments in your life. You need some commitments. We're going to look at some of Paul's commitments right here. We're going to talk about our own commitments. But the first thing you need to be is committed to relationship. Relationships. You need to have some relationships. You need to be committed to those relationships. And I want to show you right here that Paul de developed a relationship with the apostles in the ninth chapter right here in the 26th verse, just a few verses over. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Yeah, they're afraid of him. He's been going around killing disciples, killing Christians, murdering people. And then he shows up. Hey, look at me. I've been called. Yeah, they were afraid of him. But this is great. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. He was with them coming in and going out. You need to get a hold of that now. He was with them going in and go, come, go, coming in and going out. He was with. He spent some time with them. He spent some time with the apostles, developing a relationship. It's important because here's how it works: at your job and probably at everybody's business that you work for, whether you own it or you work work there. Either way, here's what happens: you get hired on. 
or you hire somebody on, the first thing they get is a position. You, obviously, you get hired and you get a position, right? And then with that position comes responsibility. There's responsibility that comes with it. So if I hire somebody, I give them a position, they have a responsibility, I hope they fulfill their responsibility. I hope they stay around long enough where I can trust them. I hope they stay around long enough where I can build a relationship with them. And I've seen churches do the same thing, and that's backwards. That's not the way the kingdom of God operates, and that's not the way your church should operate. You should build a relationship first. Relationship first. I need to know you. I need to get to know you. I need to have a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. He needs to get to know you. And then here comes the trust. And then here comes the responsibility. And then here comes the position. The difference between the call and the sin. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the exact opposite in the world that it is the kingdom of God. And people talk about the trust. Don't, don't, don't get confused saying, I'm going to show God that He can trust me. Because people tell the story about Abraham. Abraham took his son up the mountain and, then, and, and uh, was obedient. And then God saw that he could trust him. He knew he could trust him before he, his mama gave birth to him. He knows the beginning from the end. He, he created him, formed him in, in his mother's womb. He knew before he told him to go up there what he was going to do. He knows. It wasn't so God that could learn that he could trust him. It was so Abraham could learn that he could be trusted. God already knows if He can trust you. But do you know? Has God ever gave you a responsibility and you didn't come through? There's four corners that people run to. I like boxing and things of that nature. I don't sit around and watch it a lot, but I do like it. I used to watch it quite often and um, used to do some, actually. But you get in there in that ring, that boxing ring, there's four corners. You start getting pounded on, you start getting tired, you need some rest, and you need a corner. You need to go to your corner to get your rest. But have you ever been watching a fight when the dude got so tired or he was so dazed and confused that he went to the wrong corner and the referee is like, no, that's not your corner. This is your corner over here. Everybody's seen that before, right? Well, as men, we do the same thing. There's four corners. And there's only one corner that's good for you. There's only one corner that's waiting over there to assist you and to help you and to give you some water, put some ice on your head, put some Vaseline on those cuts. But sometimes we end up going to the wrong corner. And one corner I wrote down here is no relationships. No relationships. When you're going to commit to a relationship, you need to have a relationship. So let me ask you this tonight. Who are your close friends? Think about who are your close friends. And you're thinking about it in your mind right now. Well, when's the last time you ate lunch with them? When's the last time you ate dinner with them? When's the last time you went fishing with them, went bowling with them, shot some pool with them, watched a football game? When's the last time you spent some time with, with them? Well, there's bad relationships. There's no relationships. You know, they say that real successful people, that I think it was like some crazy majority, like 90% of, of, of uh, real successful CEOs and movie stars and things like that have no relationships. They run to a corner all alone, all by themselves. So they don't have a real friend. There's bad relationships too. 
And bad relationships are the ones that tear you down. I'm talking about people that work with you, people that you're around. Maybe tonight you have the choice. Dude at work invited you to come over to the house tonight to drink a few cold ones. That's a bad relationship. That's somebody that's tearing you down and pulling you down. They're certainly not lifting you up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's people in your life that are not good for you. They're not helping you any. They're tearing you down. They're bringing you down. Sometimes you need to cut that off. Now, I have intentionally, I have intentionally planned to go to an event where I knew some people would be drinking while they watched the fight. I did. But you say, that don't phase me because I don't like to drink and I don't want to drink and I don't want to participate. I didn't go in the world and be like them. I, I took Jesus to them. In other words, I, I went in. Jesus sat down and ate with sinners. I went and watched a fight with some sinners. I carried some Jesus to the fight. I figured there's enough hell already there. I'm not saying to be equally yoked and, and go marry them. Go, go join, be a business partner with them. That's not what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But there's also good relationships, but they're not good for you. Because there's yes men. Let me tell you what my wife did. I think I need to divorce her. Yeah, I would if I was you. Yeah, man, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve it. You're a good man. You work hard. You provide a good living. You need to put her on the road. Yes, man, to tell you, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. When I said you don't deserve that, let me tell you this. I tell my, my members this all the time. The worst thing that could ever happen to you in your entire life is better than what you deserve. Because we deserve hell. And there ain't nothing on this earth that compares to that. This elbow that got slapped earlier by old Adam, about passed out, is better than I deserve. I'll take it. I'm going to heal up and get him back. But there's another relationship. It's called a God relationship. And I want to ask you this. How many God relationships do you have in your life? And here's what a God relationship looks like. You take a forest of redwood trees. They grew up so tall and storms come through and they're not really affected by it. You see a big old pine tree. It's all blown over. You'll see a whole forest of pine trees just blown over and they got deep, deep roots. But redwood roots don't run down. They run horizontal and they all intermingle and twine and twist together. That's what this right here is. That's what the body of Christ is. That's what a church is. A good relationships. I'm talking about a friendship, a real friendship, not just somebody you know about. I'm talking about a friend in Jesus, like Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas befriended Paul. He was his friend. And you know the song, Friend in Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? I've got a friend in Jesus. I'm not talking about Jesus as your friend. Yeah, he is a friend that will stick closer to you than a brother. But I'm talking about a friend in Jesus. In other words, I grew up and I had some friends in hunting because we went hunting together every weekend. They were my friend. Our friendship revolved around killing a deer. I had other friends. Our friendship revolved around catching a bass. I had other friends. Our friendship revolved around taking a Jeep out in the woods and flipping it over. You understand hobbies, different things. But then I quit hunting. The desire left me. I'm not friends with that guy anymore. I very rarely ever see him. Every now in the gas station, don't even know nothing about what he's got going on in his life. And the same thing with the rest of them. But let me give you an example of a friend in Jesus. 
Me and Jonathan's never been hunting together. We've never been fishing together. We've never watched a football game together. We have no equal hobbies. Like, I don't even, what he does and what I do is so different. The only thing that we've got in common is Jesus. That's it. That's it. That's what a friend in Jesus is. He can move to California and he'll still be my friend in Jesus. You need a friend in Jesus. You need to surround yourself with as many friends in Jesus as you can. What's holding your relationship together with your best friend? 70% of men don't even have a best friend, statistics say. Proverbs 12, there's 31 Proverbs. Read one a day, one for each day of the month. The righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. You need to choose your friends carefully. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Quit being a jerk. Anybody know any jerks? They don't have any friends. I know an old man, I was thinking the other day, he's getting older, he's probably going to pass soon. I was thinking, who in the world is going to go to his funeral? About five people, and that's his kids and his wife. And the way his kids are, they may not even go. You know why? Because he's a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Like Barnabas wasn't a jerk. He befriended Paul. But there's a friend that sticks closer to you than a brother. Amen? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You need a friend that's going to hit you with it straight and tell you like it is. Because see, you got to care more about their well-being than their feelings. I need a friend that's going to care more about my well-being than my feelings. I want you to care about me. Don't let me walk off the cliff when you see me walking towards it. Please stop me. And see, I had a conversation with my friends the other day, and I said, hey, I don't want to upset you, make you mad at me. I don't want anything to come with our friendship, but I see you doing something, and maybe you haven't looked at it from my viewpoint, but I just want to tell you this. That's the kind of friend you need. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Countenance, you could say, personality. So as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the personality of his friends. And some may say character, but I don't like to use character because you say character and you look at moral character. He don't cheat, steal, and lie. But in reality, is character is what you've become through your experiences. In other words... You see bad cops that are bullies, that are jerks. You'll find, I'm not saying they all are. I got some cops that are good people, good friends. But you see some cops that are bullies. But you find out when they were in high school, they were bullied. They were bullied. And then they finally got that position because they got hired on and they got that position, but they were never healed from the bullying. So now they become a bully. And they get this new position, but they don't have the character to fulfill the position. You want to get healed from the bully and you want to get healed from the past, it's Jesus. And it happens in the surrounded by some relationships in the local body in the church. If you want healing, that's where you'll find it. And committed to stewardship. Committed to stewardship. In these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. 
This they also did. This they also did and sent it uh, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Do you see what, what's going on right there? Barnabas and Saul. There was a, a, an offering taken up and they handed Barnabas and Saul a bank bag and said, go to Jerusalem and make the deposit for these guys in the bank of Jerusalem. That While they were there, they didn't go on a, a month-long city crusade. They were just good stewards and went and made it the bank deposit. So what in the world does that mean? Well, uh, if you're going to be faithful much, you're going to be faithful a little first. How does that relate to me? Well, maybe you got four employees. You want to have 40 employees? You want to have 400? you got to be faithful a little if you want to be faithful with much. Maybe you make 40000 a year, but you want to make 400000 a year. Faithful a little. Is there an area in your life that you're not stewarding well? Because it's a raising up process. And being committed to fellowship. How committed are you to your local church? Come sometimes. Come every now and then. Come when I feel like it. I'll come every Sunday. Do you tithe? Why do you want to bring up tithing? Well, because Jesus did. He said, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. So you can't say, I don't tithe and I don't contribute to my local church because my, but my heart's in it. You're lying. Or either Jesus is lying, one or the other. I'm going to go with you. Are you a good steward of what you have and are you uh, committed? And the last thing here is committed to leadership. That's the biggest lie told in the church, last thing. It's really not the last thing. We're getting close to the last thing. We're like the next to the last thing. <laughs> I just want to give you all some hope. I know you all thinking about barbecue. Listen, committed to leadership. Acts 13, the first verse. Now in the church there was an Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Notice this. Now I want you to get this. Get a hold of this. We're fixing to wrap it up. We're fixing to make a, we're fixing to come full circle. There were certain prophets and teachers. But there are no apostles. There was only certain prophets and teachers. But there weren't any apostles. You see that. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manian, close enough, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So Saul's in there with him, but there's no apostles listed. It's just teachers and prophets. He had been called, but he hasn't been sent yet. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Notice there they were sent. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Caesarea, and from there they said to Cyprus, and I'm glad they did because they were the first missionaries. And if it hadn't been for them going and spreading, spreading the gospel, you and I wouldn't be sitting here right now. But notice there it says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Do you realize he was called in Acts the ninth chapter, but he wasn't sent to Acts the 13th chapter? Well, that's just four chapters. Yeah, it is, but it's 13 years. 13 years that he's going in and out with the disciples, having a relationship, getting to know them, taking bank bags, doing little minuscule things that people think are minuscule, but it's a process. The Lord was raising them up. 
There's a process between the call and the sin. If Paul hadn't have gone through that process, he wouldn't have wrote the majority of the New Testament. He wouldn't have a greater understanding about grace than any, any other apostle or disciple in the Bible, the way I read it. The call and the sin. We're all called. We all have gifts. The sin is the anointing and the authority to function in the calling. The sin is the anointing and the authority to fulfill the calling. See, gifts move you, anointing changes you. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. But notice it doesn't say that the anointing or the sin is irrevocable. It says the gifts and callings are irrevocable. I've seen pastors with gifts and callings, but they stood up and, and ministered wonderful, but then they fell over into sin. Maybe they're having an affair with another woman and the anointing lift off of them. And what the sad thing is that the, 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 the congregation didn't even notice that they were preaching without an anointing. That's because they were so good at being a public speaker. So what's sidelining you? What's sidelining you? You're in the locker room. You're on the football team. You've been getting there at six. You've been practicing all day not leaving until 6 in the evening or even later, 8, 9 o'clock before you get in the bed and you've been doing this for weeks and you're worn out and tired. It's the preseason, getting you ready, separating the men from the boys and you're in the locker room. You're worn out and you're tired. You're frustrated. You're wondering when it's going to end. Kind of grumbling and mumbling to yourself. It's kind of quiet. Nobody's saying much. Just mumbling. But then the coach enters the room. When he enters the room, everybody's in full attention, paying attention, because he's got something to say. And the coach just paces back and forth. And he makes eye contact with every man in there. Like he's looking down in you. And he says, I didn't just cast a net and just pull out any players I could find in hopes that we'd win some ball games, but I hand chose you. I hand picked you. I cherry picked you because I thought you would be good at this position because you're gifted in that area. I hand picked you to come aboard on my team so that we could win a championship. He says, I provided you. the best coaching staff I provided you with this playbook but if you can't maintain the integrity of that uniform you're wearing none of it's going to do any good now you can sit in the locker room and mumble and complain and whine and cry 
or you can put on your uniform, tighten up your cleats, put your helmet on, put your chin strap on extra tight, and you can meet me on the 50-yard line. That fires me up. That makes you want to hit somebody right now. If you've ever been on a football team, you know what I mean. But there's so many people that don't ever get to see the field. They're gifted, but they're never sent because they can't handle the process that it takes to be sent. Therefore, they ride the pine all season. I've seen it. Romans 8, the 28th verse says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You're called, I'm called, we're all called. Why? According to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among the brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called, you and me. Whom He called, these He also justified. Whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? What in the world does all that mean? What that means is you're sitting out there possibly right now, you're in the locker room, and, and this altar is the 50-yard line. And God walks up into the locker room and He says, Hey, I didn't just cast a net and just pull out any old thing I could find. I handpicked you. I predestined you. I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you was even born. I called you into an area of ministry. There's a calling on your life. I gave you gifts. I recognized them. Not that so you could just sit in the locker room or ride the pine. No, but so you could go out and maintain the integrity of the uniform that I put on you. Lead people to Christ and expand the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. Some people are in the sin right now. Some people have never been sent. You're still in the call. The process between the call and the sin. And you know who you are. And let me tell you one more time. You're in the locker room. And the altar is the 50-yard line. And God said, hey, are you ready? Can you maintain the integrity of the uniform I gave you, of the name I gave you, of the calling I put on your life, of the gifts you want to be sent? Meet me on the 50. Meet me on the 50. 